It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com the Euros with Football Social Daily. In the 1870s, it was the first ever international football match. In 1967, the old enemy beat the world champions for the first time since the Jules Rimet trophy came home. A decade later, in 77, it was the Tartan army again, who even took the goalposts home with them. In 1996, it was glorious from Gaza as the three Lions came out on top. In 2021, we wait and see. 25 years on from Euro 96, Wembley is the venue again as the oldest rivalry in international football is renewed when England plays Scotland tonight in Group D of the Euros. The Scots at their first major tournament in over two decades. England, one of the favourites to go the distance in this summer's competition. It should be a formality on paper for Gareth Southgate's side, but not if Stevie Clark and the Scotland lads have their way. We'll look ahead to a huge game in Euro 2020. A win for England would see them through to the last 16. A result for Scotland, meanwhile, and they keep their qualification hopes alive with one game to go. Netherlands and Belgium have already secured their places in the next stage. We'll take a look at their endeavours on today's podcast too, as well as keeping an eye on the latest managerial mayhem in the Premier League, namely at Tottenham Hotspur. It's like a manager's okie-cokie at Spurs right now. In, out, shake it all about. Antonio Conte, Paolo Fonseca and now Gennaro Gattuso have all been in and then out. Plus, we'll have the latest transfer gossip for you, including a couple of done deals in the Premier League. All that to come here on Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a show again. I'm Niall and alongside me today, we've got Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Good morning. Are you decked out in uh, in your England shirt? Have you got England flags out the front of your <laughs> house? Have you painted your face? Have you dyed your hair red? What's going on? I've done all of that, yeah. I've got my, my, my um, body painted in a St. George's cross, looking like an absolute flag shagger. But, yeah. <laughs> and our Scottish representative today is John Walker from the Trample Bet podcast, which you can, of course, find on the Sports Social Podcast Network. How are you doing this morning, John? Uh, excited, nervous, feeling sick, confident, not confident. Every, every emotion, every five minutes changes, um, as, <laughs> as I think, towards this game that I've been looking forward to all week. 
Are you wearing a kilt? Have you got your retro Scotland shirt on? Have you painted your hair blue and white? Do you have a can of tenants in your hand at 10 o'clock this morning? What's I, going on? I need, to, I need to pretend to work all day. So the Scotland top's set aside. <laughs> the, the booze is set aside. The hair dye is rinsed out. I had my hair dyed for the, the game on Monday, but it is thankfully uh, rinsed out now. But yeah, uh, just really looking forward. I, I think I'd said to you, realistically, I'm going to put in a solid three hours shift at work now and bail off at lunchtime. <laughs> Get that early dart sorted, obviously. The game <laughs> kicks off at 8pm tonight in Group D, Euro 2020 at Wembley. 25 years on, John, from Euro 96, where it was the same venue, England against Scotland. Are these sorts of games what international football is all about the the nervousness the excitement and obviously there's plenty of history between the two nations as well yeah that, this is the first time i've said this is the biggest scotland game that i've been aware of because france 98 i was 10 years old uh, euro 96 i was eight so mm. although i watched the games and was excited for the games i don't think i quite grasped what was there and then you add 23 years onto that of us not really having a major game the last the last big game i can really think of barring the England group games that we'd had before, um, was maybe the Holland playoff where we, we won 1-0 at home, um, went away to Amsterdam confident and Wesley Snyder made his debut and set up four goals and Holland won 6-0 and that was the start of the, the crushing optimism um, disappearing from my veins as a Scotland fan and to be honest it's just always felt like I've never known when it was going to change and it had changed and then Monday happened. Yeah, I mean, well, I said to Jim before Monday's game against the Czech Republic, I said, Scotland just need to enjoy the build-up, enjoy the atmosphere, enjoy the excitement that comes with being in a major tournament for the first time in years and years and years. And Jim said I was being quite defeatist about it. Would you you agree with that? Do you think that was unfair of me to say that I just think Scotland should try and just enjoy the tournament as much as possible? Yeah, I'd said to you before we started recording, I watch a lot of Bundesliga and that Czech Republic team was made up of five players from the Bundesliga and I was not impressed with that squad at all and even in hindsight I watched the game back sober of course on Tuesday the full <laughs> game and, and I still feel vindicated in that that Czech Republic side are bang average and that was all our eggs in one basket in one ninety minutes mm. at Hamden against the team that I think are the whipping boys of this group that we should have put to the sword we should have been braver and picked a, a more attacking lineup. obviously Tierney dropping out at the last minute was really really annoying and changes everything that's good about our team because we've lost our best player but I do feel like that was a all eggs in one basket type game. That had to be the game we had to win because three points can get you through. And then the flip side of that now is we've got a negative two goal difference, which was something we hadn't banked on. I was thinking that if we could have nicked a goal, being minus one goal difference might change everything just for the other groups. But yeah, I, I honestly thought there was a chance because it's almost harder to not go through these groups at the first stage of the Euros now that we might have nicked through in one of the third place spots. Well, you were inside Hamden Park for that game against the Czech Republic. What was the Patrick Schick goal like to witness? Obviously, it would have been painful um, for the Titan Army to see that one fly over Marshall's head and into the back of the net. But, I mean, you were in the stands. Did you get a good view of it? What did you think of the goal? Yeah, so I was I was probably on the in between the, the goal line and six-yard box facing into that goal. And I said to my pal, I know these all things are anecdotal sometimes, but I said to my pal, the minute he hit it and I'd seen Marshall scrambling, I was like, that's in, that, that, that is in. And it felt like it felt like it took a second to go in, but also an age to go in. Yeah. Um, it was just everything. And the minute that had happened, we had said when we went 1-0 down, 
this team don't have two goals in us I don't think not against the way the Czechs had organised mm. and then it goes two goals and you are kind of just hoping you'd a goal to celebrate to get that goal difference down yeah. and it just never came it was just it was such a flat being in that train queue uh, waiting to get back from Hamden to the city centre is as flat as I've felt um, at a football match it was horrible Scotland's team selection from Steve Clark did come under fire in that Czech Republic game obviously Lyndon Dykes was given the nod up front which nobody on the podcast could understand I mean I'm a Portsmouth fan so I'm not a huge fan of Shea Adams but you have to suggest he is better than Lyndon Dykes Forrest came off the bench instead of starting and I thought he looked quite lively would you make any changes to the lineup against England compared to what we saw against the Czechs so the, this is where the, the Scotland fan base is totally totally split down the middle um, the loyalties to players who got us there like Stephen O'Donnell Ryan Christie Lyndon Knights as you mentioned has come under scrutiny in the whole build up to this tournament because we feel like although players maybe aren't playing regularly at their club sides like Billy Gilmore or Nathan Patterson at Rangers we feel like there are better players in their positions and the, the problem with Stephen O'Donnell is because the way Scotland tend to build up with Tierney at left centre back and Robertson at left wing back is we, we lop side and we attack that way with Tierney coming out. It's kind of similar to what Sheffield United were doing. We've got the underlapping inside centre half for the back three that goes on and Robertson can stay back. Now what happens when Tierney goes is O'Donnell's a much much more defensive wing back. So he just fills in as a back three when that happens. The minute Tierney is not in that lineup, you need to play an attacking wing back. And the minute Forrest came on, we looked more of a threat. But we were 2-0 down by that point. So... If Tierney's fit, you almost get away with playing Stephen O'Donnell because of his defensive qualities. But he has nothing going forward. It's a shame. I don't mean that to be as disrespectful as it sounds. But if we're attacking, he's the fourth best right wing back in the squad because Ryan Fraser's played that position for Bournemouth. James Forrest can play it. He's played it for Celtic in Scotland. And Nathan Patterson's played it for Rangers. And the Lyndon Dykes issue, he's a striker for 15 years ago for Scotland. We now have McTominay, McGinn, Gilmore, McGregor, Armstrong, really good top quality centre midfielders who can now find a centre forward. So we need that bit of class, someone who can hold the ball up, bring people into play. Lyndon Dykes is a decent, busy nuisance of an English championship centre forward. But it's no more than that, by the sounds of it, from the tone of your voice. And it must be a bit of a conundrum, really, for Steve Clark when your two best players are in the same position, left-back Robertson and Tierney. By all accounts, it sounds like Tierney might well be fit for this game against England tonight, 8pm kickoff. I mean, everyone will think back, Marley, to that game in 96 where the Euros were in England, the match was at Wembley, uh, and England won by two goals to nil. It's mainly remembered for that Paul Gascoigne volley and that dentist chair celebration. But do you think these kinds of games almost lend themselves to like birthing new heroes? I mean, Gascoigne was a legendary player in his own right for the things he did at Rangers um, and abroad and at Tottenham and Everton and, and teams like that. But obviously, everyone remembers Gaza for that volley against the Scots. And likewise, if Scotland win this game today against England and whoever scores the goal for them to do that, if that is the case, they're going to be a legend in their own right for years and years to come. So this feels like a game of, of cultural magnitude as well as tournament significance. Yeah, I think it, it could be, you know, it's something that will always like be big on your CV sort of thing. If you if you score at a major championships for one, but if you score at a major championships against um, against the sort of biggest enemy sort of thing in, in the biggest game, 
then yeah, I mean, you know, Gazza had a hell of a career and all we, well, not all we remember him for, but the main thing you think of when you think of Gazza is, you know, putting Colin Hendry on his backside and slamming one past the goalkeeper. So that is, it's just like, it's a chance for, for somebody to, to put a mark on their career sort of thing. And I mean, all I want to see is Phil Foden do that to uh, <laughs> to Grant Hanley, stick it past Marshall in goal and, and celebrate with the... Uh, with the, something similar to the dentist chair, because it would just be perfect shithousery, but it would be great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, everyone's got the chance chance to do that. That's what these games are. That's what rivalries are. You know, mm-hmm. you can think back to club rivalries and iconic goals in club rivalries that are similar. So um, yeah, it's definitely a chance for someone to to put make a name for themselves, even if it's not sort of the best thing they've done in their career, but certainly one that, that fans will remember. Well, Calvin Phillips was the England player who really shone against Croatia in England's opening group game. England won by a goal to nil. Phillips set up Sterling for the winner. I mean, he was so good versus Croatia. Do you think he's now kind of etched himself onto the team sheet for the Scotland game as a matter of, of certainty after that performance? I mean, you talk about creating new heroes and a tournament in the summer really kind of bringing a player to prominence. It feels like even with that performance against Croatia, Calvin Phillips certainly put himself on that pathway. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think he'll he'll play in some capacity. Um, I, the only sort of thing I'm thinking about is maybe to to be more attacking against a team that you're going to probably dominate possession against, maybe go with a 4-3-3 and play three strikers up there and try and pin the, the Scottish defenders back if they're a back five. But um, I can't see Southgate changing a, uh, a winning team, so I think we'll see very few changes um, and that probably goes for for Mings as well at the back over over Maguire, even though he's uh, declared himself fit and what have you. But yeah, I think um, Phillips definitely did enough to to stay. You can't play that well and then get dropped, even though even if Henderson's fully fit and had a great week of training, mm. it sends out the wrong message that if you're playing that well, you can still get dropped. I, th- I think he's he's done what he needs to do to stay in that team for the foreseeable future, and until I don't know until something changes until maybe he he has a, a, a poorer performance or he gets booked and you don't want to risk him or... Yeah, there's or no reason this... to drop him, basically, is yeah, there, from what we saw? Absolutely, mm. no. Um, there's no reason to drop any of them, really, I don't think. I think, think everybody did very well against Croatia. Um, and for that reason, I mean, possibly a left-back coming in, for example, and, and Trippier moving across to the right because Walker, Walker had an awful game uh, against Croatia, but he was the only one, I thought. Mm. It, it wasn't very good. But, yeah, other than that, I can't see many changes. Early indications are that Luke Shaw might start at left-back for England and Rhys James will play at right-back. So that is what is coming out in the media at the moment. Harry Maguire has also declared himself fit and available. Those were his words in the press conference to play against Scotland. Marley's suggested he doesn't think Southgate will throw him in. Jack Grealish also trained away from the squad at parts this week. We might see him, we might not. Not too sure on that one. He's been nursing a shin injury which has been giving him jip for the last three or four months. It's because his shin pads are absolutely tiny that's why he keeps getting <laughs> yeah, it made of coffee cups his shin pads aren't they um john from an from an england perspective who worries you what what are you worried about if you are worried at all um in terms of what england can can do damage wise to your team i mean i would actually be quite happy i i watched england game I, I do agree kyle walker wasn't that good but for our left side being as dangerous as it is kyle walker's pace would not be left out of that side for me i know reese james isn't slow i know kieran trippy isn't slow I would not have Kyle Walker out of that starting eleven just by if Tierney and Robertson are fit. What we offer down that side is 
rapid overlaps and really good crossing. So I would have Kyle Walker pinned down at right back against against either of those two when they come up. So I wouldn't change that. As for the, the, the free in behind a striker, it gives me nightmares, the thought of Stephen O'Donnell being against Raheem Sterling or Jack Grealish, Phil Foden breaking lines and running against Grant Hanley. It, it, <laughs> it is enough to give, especially if I see Tierney overlap and go and we lose the ball and it's Foden with an overload with Kyle Walker coming. There's so many things I, I, I really do fear about this England team. I, I, I remember listening to some pals downplaying what England could achieve and I'm like, mate, what, what have you been watching? Phil, Phil Foden's as good as anyone as I think since I watched Jack Greeley, uh, Jack Wilshire appear. I, I think he's managed to stay fit and progress in a way that Wilshire was hindered by injuries and got to the player that I think Wilshire might have became. Um, Grealish, I'm, I'm so glad he's not 100% because he's the one for me. I think him and Foden are something special and then I feel even I'm guilty sometimes of sleeping on Raheem Sterling. He's so dangerous and I've not even mentioned I like Arsenal. I've not even mentioned Harry Kane. I mean, the whole, I mean he broke our hearts uh, three years ago with that last minute equaliser. So there's so many players, and I thought Calvin Phillips was absolutely tremendous against Croatia. So, I'm, and even at that, I thought Mings and White. I, oh, I, I, I don't really. You know the weakness I see in England team is Pickford, and I don't know how we get to the point where we actually test them. Take a leaf out of Patrick Schick's book, I reckon. Have a shot from halfway, see what happens. Um, he's like the yeah, he's like the final boss, isn't he? You got to get past Rice, and you got to get <laughs> get past the centre backs, you got to get past the full backs, and then when you finally get to the final boss, he's not as uh, he's not as scary as everyone thinks. The final boss is going to be difficult. I know, yeah. It's like reverse, though, isn't it? With these tiny little arms flapping about. <laughs> you say that you're sort of changing emotions, John, as the minutes tick by uh, towards kickoff tonight. How, in general, do you think Scotland as a nation are feeling about the game? Because obviously the buzz was huge before the Czech Republic game, first tournament match in 23 years, and then, like you said at the train station, you were feeling flat as anything after the defeat. So is it confidence? Is it nervousness? Is it false hope? What's the feeling like at the moment? As a Scotland football fan, do you know what I think happens the night before a game? Is I think that... Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith from Men in Black visit us all <laughs> and use that wee memory eraser and we forget how horrible we felt and we all of a sudden believe we can beat again because at the end of that Czech Republic game I was looking at England beating us 3-4-5-0 and this morning I woke up going if we just dig in if we dig in we defend well I, c- I could see us getting a 1-0 here and I'll feel the exact same tomorrow and then blind optimism on Tuesday morning I'll believe we're going to beat Croatia 3-0 What do you think will happen Marley? The headline in today's Metro newspaper is no time to shrink in referring to England Do you think England will buckle because obviously winning against Croatia is the first time that England have ever won their opening game of a European Championships most of England's games are on home soil all of the group games are at Wembley so they've got a great opportunity here and a great squad of players and many people are tipping them to go the distance in the tournament we obviously haven't seen England come up against a, a, a top quality outfit yet but in terms of an atmosphere and the situation and circumstances surrounding a game, it doesn't get much bigger than England versus Scotland. So no time to shrink was the Metro headline. Do you think they will? Uh no. I think I think we'll we'll do quite a professional job. There'll be there'll be moments of, of panic and uh, maybe a little bit of sort of riding out that wave and especially when the game kicks off, you know, the, the fans, the Scottish fans will have a They'll make a hell of a racket and, and a great atmosphere and stuff. But once the uh, once the game actually settles down, I think that'll be where England starts to show their 
their sort of strengths and and show the Scottish weaknesses. I think as well. So I think England can can hurt Scotland in a lot of different ways. They can hurt them from the left, the right, through the centre. They've got you know Foden, Sterling, Mount, Kane. They're all hard to to deal with um, for Scotland, but. If you're looking at how Scotland can hurt England, it's more can they get that overlap working down the left hand side? And when you do that, and you know England are probably prepared for that, they know Scotland want to do that. So I think they'll they'll have done their due do, do, done their due diligence, um, sorted out where they think Scotland are going to be a threat. Um, maybe set pieces and, and 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 sort of when the game slows down a little bit as well. But I think England will be far too strong in the, on the general level of play. So. Um, I'm not expecting any major uh, shocks from from Scotland. I think they'll they'll put up the fight, and then I think once that first goal goes in, that might just take the wind out of them a little bit, um, and then I can see England getting two or three on top of that, um, and really making it a bit of a miserable night for the Scots. What about you, John? Do you still think you can dig in and and squeeze a result out of it? I mean, yeah, blind optimism. I think I think we could. Um, I've the only thing I can think of, even remotely, is this is a different type of pressure for England players, but these are players who play in the Premier League week in, week out at the highest level and play in Champions League for most of their teams. But the only thing I can hope is all this pressure around like Rio Ferdinand making predictions for 2-3-0 um, on BBC last night, and we've seen how good his predictions have been on the Europa League sometimes. Um, we can just blindly hope that it's the players are a wee bit nervous by how much hype has been put on them. However, I don't think Gareth Southgate will have let any of that happen, which is the thing that annoys me. Um, there's been England teams in the past 20 years I would have rather played at a major tournament, put it that way, um, with a Scotland squad. But I, I do I do think what, what Marley was kind of going to allude to was the fact that England can hurt Scotland everywhere. And I think Scotland's main area of hurting England is playing down that left side. And... If it'd be music to my ears if Kyle Walker was not starting that game. That would be music to my ears, genuinely. That's really, really interesting to hear that because I think, as Marley pointed out earlier, most England supporters would have pinpointed Walker as having the weakest performance against Croatia in that opening group game. Oh, it's all shaping up to be really exciting. Wembley tonight, Group D, England versus Scotland, 8pm kickoff. And if you think you know what's going to happen tonight, then why not get over onto Boyle Sports? Our sponsors have got a great offer during the Euros. All you need to do is stake 10 quid on the game between England and Scotland or any other England game throughout the European Championships. And if that bet does lose, you'll have the £10 stake refunded into your account as a free bet. T's and C's apply of course it's 18 plus as well you can check out the latest at boilsports.com or check out the boil sports app gamble responsibly be gambleaware.org time for a quick break here on football social daily we'll talk more european championships next as the netherlands and belgium both secured their safe passage through to the last 16 we'll also be discussing tottenham hotspur rafa benitez everton and the managerial mayhem going on in the premier league we'll do it next Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Normally, we do a daily Premier League podcast, but because the Euros are on, we're bringing the European Championships to the forefront of our focus. We've just discussed England against Scotland, the huge game tonight that kicks off 8pm at Wembley. But we do need to focus on the Premier League because there is plenty going on in terms of the managerial merry-go-round. Yesterday on the podcast, we touched upon the rumours that Rafa Benitez was close to taking the Everton job. Understandably, 
globally on social media, this has caused a lot of outrage. Evertonians are furious about this. There are some rather unsavoury banners outside Goodison Park. You're obviously a Rangers fan, John, so you know what it's like to have a big cross-city rivalry. Would you have someone like Neil Lennon, etc., at Ibrox? Let's just say Steven Gerrard isn't the manager of Rangers anymore. I mean, can you understand why the Evertonians are so upset about this? I mean, it doesn't feel like something that would have gone down too well, regardless of the fact it's been over a decade since Benitez was the Liverpool manager. Do you know what? It's really nice. Um, as I've said, I, I'm, I'm a Rangers fan. That That is my thing. But Arsenal are like a, a stepchild. Like, like I love it. It's equally <laughs> a hurt when it's hurt. Um, so I do follow my I go to Arsenal games and I have preached for years to Scottish football fans that English football rivalry isn't this diluted thing that everyone makes it out to be. Yes, there's a new phase of generational fans who mm. almost don't invest as much, almost hatred to their opposition as they do. There's always jokes about how Everton's such a mixed, um, Everton-Liverpool's such a mixed derby with families, but from Liverpool and Everton fans that I know, that's not the case at all. They despise mm. their derby team. So actually seeing that was was actually quite nice. However, the flip side to that is Neil, Neil Lennon's a hard one because there's so much division there between Rangers Celtic and Neil Lennon. However, if a Brendan Rodgers became available in 10 years to take the Rangers job, I would take him at Rangers. Um, really? And I'm also looking at Everton and going, where are Everton now going? Because Everton... The, the same as Spurs, which I think we're going to talk about later, are in real danger of ending up appointing somebody they didn't want mm. if they don't get this right. I think that's the most important thing here, is they're maybe running out of top top quality options very quickly. Yeah. It seems like every week I'm seeing a new favourite to take that job, and it mm. should be a job that people are dying to take. Yeah, 100%. Well, Duncan Ferguson is another name that's been linked as possibly taking the job on he did it on a temporary basis didn't he and actually did quite well before they brought in Carlo Ancelotti it looks like he's going to stay at the club I think Duncan Ferguson seems to stay at the club no matter which managers come into Everton because they're simply too scared to tell him to do one Um, (laughs) and I would be as well I'd be too scared telling Big Dunk that his uh, contract being torn up and thrown in the bin Um, I'm really interested that that you say that about Brendan Rodgers because Obviously, he was so successful with Celtic and you'd still take him 10 years down the line at Rangers. I mean, Everton fans won't forget that uh, Benitez won the Champions League with Liverpool and the FA Cup. But his comments about the fact that Everton were a small club, is that just by the by? Is that just kind of fighting talk because he was the Liverpool manager? Or is that something you feel, John, that Evertonians can rightly get annoyed about? I, I mean, I would be annoyed. Yeah, I, I I understand that entirely. And it makes absolute sense to me. But also, if I was ever in the position of being a, a rival manager, those are definitely comments I would make in a heartbeat. So I think that's a token gesture for the fans of the club that you're managing at the time. But also, yeah, and also fo- football... Um, Football's getting no memory. It, it doesn't really. Like we we have had up at Rangers and Celtic, Kenny Miller moved from Rangers Celtic and back to Rangers, and his reputation within Rangers is not diluted any. He is an absolute legend from this club. Um, maybe not so much at Celtic, but he did score Champions League goals and win titles at Celtic. So there are some cases, but I do think it depends how much you've wound up the the opposition fans and. I, I don't really remember that Benitez comment, but he has won the. He did win the Champions League with Liverpool, so that would hurt. I would, I would never take a Celtic manager that had won the Champions League for Celtic. Put it that way. 
Yeah, that's weird because we've had a couple um, down at Portsmouth in our rivalry with Southampton. We've had Peter Crouch, who played for us, went to Southampton and then came back to play for us a few years later. And no one really gives Peter Crouch that much stick. But then on the other side, you've got a character like Harry Redknapp, who got us into the Premier League, then left and went to manage Southampton, took them down. They got relegated from the Premier League. And then he came back to us and won us the FA Cup. And yet there's still a section of Pompey fans that despise Harry Redknapp, despite of the fact that he won us the championship and won us the FA Cup uh, because of the fact he went and managed them. So <laughs> you will get this rivalry um, boil up. And it does feel like Farhad Mashiri um, isn't going to take what would be the biggest risk of his Everton tenure. It does feel like he's kind of taken a back step away from Rafa Benitez. That's certainly simmered down. I think uh, the fan reaction maybe has encouraged him to, to perhaps take a, a little think about appointing Benitez as the new Everton manager we'll keep an eye on that one of course uh, as that story rolls on let's also take a look at Tottenham as well who still haven't found the new manager Marley we spoke about Antonio Conte on the podcast last week then Fonseca a few days later now Gennaro Gattuso who has just left I think Fiorentina uh, after leaving AC Milan and has had two jobs in the last two weeks now he's being talked up for a possible Tottenham appearance in the managerial chair and then within 25 minutes it was sort of he was in and then he was out again I mean what does this tell us about Tottenham does it tell us that they're an indecisive club and they don't know what they're doing or is it just them ensuring that they make the right choice because we've heard so many names linked with that managerial chair and it's been a long time now a couple of months since Jose Mourinho got the sack yeah I don't know man I don't know what's going on to be honest I think it's almost like the the like a name gets linked and then it gets leaked to the the press and then it's almost like they're they're sort of gauging fan reaction as to as to whether they be popular or not. But I mean, Gattuso is 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 a volatile character. I mean, he's he left Napoli and I think two days later he signed Fiorent signed for Fiorentina and then twenty three days after that he's gone from there over. Um, well, basically, basically, what it is is his man, his agent is George Mendes, who's also involved with Wolves, um, and George Mendes wanted to impose his players and make them sign for Fiorentina, the the raft of Portuguese players he's got, um, and the board said no, uh, we don't want to do that, we want to do it ourselves, um, a, a different way, and Gattuso went right, well, that's not for me, and I don't believe you've got the the uh the pull to get some of these players that is that are being offered and, and off he goes. So I think he's he's not a bad manager. He's he certainly will, you know, attempt to whip the, the squad into shape sort of thing. You know, you don't take any he's like he was as a player, he doesn't take any uh, stick as a as a manager. So. I just remember him trying to nut Joe Jordan on the touch. <laughs> exactly. I know it's if any you talk about football going full circle. Jesus wept. I mean, he had he once had this Spurs assistant manager by the neck and then headbutted him. Of someone, one of them headbutted the other one. I can't remember which way it was. I think it was Gattuso headbutting Jordan, but bravest man in the world. Um, and then all of a sudden, what is it? Ten years later, he's he's the manager of that club. It would just be weird, wouldn't it? But but it would be sort of poetic. Um, however, I do think it would end in disaster because I think as soon as you tell Gattuso that something isn't there for him that he thinks is there, you know, all of a sudden your office gets smashed up. Uh, a load of Milan ultras come across and uh, you, you're in trouble. So yeah, I'd, I'm not entirely sure it's a long term appointment if they do go for him. I think Fonseca's a much 
safer choice. How, however, the the level of success would probably be lower than it would under Gattuso. However, not much success with either of them, if I'm, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, I think just just carry on. <laughs> carry on looking, see if you can find a fit. I'd be going for Rafa Benitez if I was them. I don't know what they're messing about with. He's out of work. He's got no real um, opposition to Spurs and he's the best manager out there that, uh, that isn't currently employed, in my opinion. But He did manage Chelsea yeah, for th- five minutes, so... Yeah, but they hated him, so... <laughs> you know what I mean? They gave him non-stop stick. Oh, we hate him because of... I think it was over the bloody ghost goal in 2006, was it, with Luis Garcia? I think that's genuinely where it all came yeah, from. He wasn't at like, Chelsea for long. It was only it's six months or so. It's not even it? a thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I just want Gattuso in the Premier League because I want more press conferences. Like, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe sh- that's the best press conference I think I've ever seen. Well, doesn't that doesn't that sum up Spurs in the last fifteen years? It, does. <laughs> it certainly does, and it's a perfect time to bring John Walker in on this, seeing as he's of a slight Arsenal persuasion. What what is the kind of Arsenal viewpoint on this? Because I mean, the longer that that managerial chair goes um, unoccupied, I think I saw a great tweet from someone who was on a Spurs stadium tour, and the manager's chair in the dugout actually had cobwebs on it, like real cobwebs. <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite funny to see the photo of that doing the rounds on Twitter. Um, do you think Spurs have kind of lost their way a little bit, or do you think they are sort of searching? for that right appointment because as Marley says it's like they've gauged out four or five different managers and still haven't settled on one this is a lesson to every Arsenal fan that I argued with during Wenger having to pay for a brand new stadium where we had to sign Andre Santos Scalacci play Giroud play uh, Senderos all these players that we had to go through but the one saving grace that we had was a world-class manager. What's happening at Spurs is they're paying for this stadium. Harry Kane wants out, so the first question on every manager's lips is, is Harry Kane staying or going? And they've been told he's going, and they've all went, nah, you're all right. I'm not not here to rebuild. Because Harry Kane goes and they lose the one thing that's been making them cling on to European football for the last three, four years. If he goes, oh... I cannot see how they replace all that, all those goals. If he goes, Sun goes. I, I'm, I'm so, in, I'm so interested to see where this goes for them. But also, I'm so happy just now because this is what would have happened to Arsenal if we chucked Wenger in 2009. This is what would have happened. We would have been trying to replace manager after manager, and Arsenal have hit it now, where we, we still don't really know where they're coming or going. Um, we're out of Europe. I really think that's what's happening with this, this Spurs job. I think managers are asking what's happening with Harry Kane and then panicking a little bit because they've tried to get strikers in um, to be his backup and it's always been players of a real lesser ilk and I, I just don't see where they go once Kane goes. I, I think this is like potentially a really, really tough time for Spurs and I think that's been told because they managed to get, they managed to attract Jose Mourinho, one of the most successful managers in world football, two seasons ago and now they're interviewing people like Gattuso who playing career aside has done nothing coaching so I, I don't I don't get why these guys are even considered for the Spurs job and it maybe should be an eye-opener as to where they're about to become I think it it it, it reminds me of like you know it it all seems like they've, they've come in they're coming off the back of Mourinho and then they're looking around in and they're trying to look at that level 
and they're realizing that nobody nobody's there, and the ones that are there don't want them. Like Conte, for example, Conte is a similar ilk to Mourinho, is a similar class of of manager, and he's not interested because he, he basically talked to them, probably asked the questions that John's just said, and realized there was too much work, too much challenges, and not enough money, um, both personally and to spend. Um, so it, it's kind of like having a you know going out with a, a supermodel and then dumping her and then trying to get another supermodel and the the best you can find is like the the half decent bird who works down asda like it's just it's just not the same like they're, they're not in the same class and that's <laughs> spurs are scrambling around now like trying to look for the best of a of a bad bunch um and seems like they're gonna gonna make a bit of a meal of it yeah i think that this is a really interesting situation at tottenham and We've spoken on the podcast before about how important it is that they get the right person in because they could well be in the same position in another six, 12 months time if things don't go to plan. And they've got a danger of turning into a Chelsea, keep sacking managers over and over again. But the problem is, at least Chelsea, their method of sacking managers, that seems to work with silverware. Hasn't been the case <laughs> uh, with Tottenham Hotspur. We'll keep an eye on that one, of course, here on Football Social Daily. Back to the Euros now, though, and Belgium and the Netherlands confirmed their places in the last... 16 yesterday are either of those sides impressing you enough John to think they can go deep into the competition let's start with the Netherlands first are they anything to be fearful of um they, they look they look good going forward but I think the Ukraine game showed a lot of um a lot of gaps in their defensive ability and I think that's the thing that's going to stop them going any further than quarterfinals I think they do have real restrictions I think going forward they look really good but there was even a spell in the Austria game last night where 25 minutes to go, I felt like Austria maybe had them pinned in. Alaba had a good shot from 20 yards, it just went by the post. There was a lot of crosses into the box where I think um, better delivery would have shown bigger frailties. So I'm just pointing to that. That Ukraine spell when they conceded two goals to get pegged back um, after watching Ukraine yesterday against Macedonia, I don't know that Netherlands can go any further than quarters in this tournament. What about Belgium then, Mali? Number one ranked side in the world, yet still sometimes understated as a footballing nation in terms of the big boys as they get described. I mean, do you think we'll see them come alive against one of the bigger footballing nations if that clash happens in the last 16? Yeah, I think when when they start with De Bruyne and Hazard um, like they did in the second half last night, I thought you seen the two sides of Belgium, didn't you? You know, first half they were poor and Denmark were all over them. And then at the half time, Martinez just went, right, who have I got on the bench? Oh, uh, Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> and he's, he sent them on and it's like yeah. lambs to the slaughter of Denmark. I mean, De Bruyne looked like he'd never, you know, he, he'd never missed a kick. He was as if he was playing regularly all through the time. He, he was getting his face stitched back together, but, you know, he was he was absolutely brilliant again, De Bruyne. And Lukaku was a, was a threat, obviously, up front and led the line really well. And then you've got Hazard and... The, Torgan Hazard as well and Witzel came on after six months out injured and all the rest of it and they're they're just a quality they've got quality everywhere the only place I would worry about them is uh, Denea at centre-back he was uh, he had a bit of a poor game but you know still if you've got 10 good 10 amazing players and, and then him you know chances are you can fire your way out of trouble so I think they're going to go really far um, and if I remember rightly I think their first knockout game is against is probably going to be against someone quite weak. Um, I think it's going to be against one of the third place finishers, if I'm right. But uh, I could be wrong because it, it, it could all change. But yeah, they uh, they're going to take some stopping, in my opinion. 
Yeah, they did look good last night, especially like you say, Kevin De Bruyne coming off the bench and, and just completely turning the game on its head, which will please Manchester City fans. We've got some Premier League transfer news to wade through next, including a return to a former club for an Inter Milan player. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. My name's Niall. I've got John and Marley alongside me. Don't forget to check out the Sport Social Podcast Network. Loads of great stuff on there. Loads of Euro 2020 podcasts. Something for the Speedway fan, for the snooker fan, even for the wrestling fan. Uh, and also you can find John's podcast, Trample Bet Podcast, on there as well, as well as on all the good podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. Uh, you can check out the website, sport-social.co.uk, and just click the podcasts tab or just go direct to podcast.sport-social.co.uk hope to see you there checking out some of the shows time to talk transfers now and from a Premier League perspective Aston Villa have confirmed the re-signing of Ashley Young some what 10 years after he left the club he's been at Inter Milan most recently and he's just won the Scudetto the Serie A title with Inter Um, it's his second spell after playing there earlier on in his career Marley like I said do you think this is good business from Aston Villa to bring in Ashley Young Uh, I'm a bit a bit baffled by it to be honest I don't really see what he what he does I think he he talked himself about really wanting to go back to Watford um, last season I remember he, he did an interview with uh, when he was at Inter and he was like I'd love Watford to get back in the Premier League because I want to go back there one day and hopefully you know if they get back I'll, I can go there and then he turns up at Aston Villa and I'm just like oh right okay well fair enough but I don't think I think Villa are a, a better team than Ashley Young now. Um, I think what is how old is he? Is he thirty six? Thirty five, I think. Yeah. 30, oh, mm. I mean, his his best years are behind him. Well, um, he, he'll be easily the oldest in the squad. I think five years older than Connor Howrahan, who I think is on his way out of the club anyway. By which right. case, the second oldest player in the squad would be twenty eight. So there'd be a seven year age gap if that is to be what transpires. That, that's a young squad. Then come to think of it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, look, he's played wing back for for the last few years of his career. Um, Villa don't play with wing backs. He's always looked frail defensively. So if you're going to play him right back or left back, which I'm assuming he'll probably play, um, I would worry about him a little bit as a as a 36 year old who, you know, 35, 36, whatever he is, his, his pace might have went a little bit. Um, so I, I do wonder why they've done it. I think maybe it's a bit of a sentimental thing. Um, and not necessarily the, the greatest move. I mean, we've seen the, the guys they're getting linked with in the in the transfer window. They just signed Buendia. They're trying to sign Smith Rowe. Um, Villa fans will tell you that they're staying on with the they're keeping Grealish. Um, not entirely sure how true that might prove to be, but I just think they got better players on the wings than than Young. So that would suggest he's playing fullback if he plays. And then I just worry about him defensively, and I always have done so. Yeah, I'm not not massively sure about it, but it's nice for him to come back to England after mm. having a nice little year or two in Milan and uh, winning the title. That's a nice little uh, vacation for him. Yeah, I've seen loads of people say this is really good business from Aston Villa. Um, I'm, like, I'm a bit like you. I think it's very much a wait and see whether it is or it isn't. Uh, they've also bid for Emil Smith-Rowe over the last few days, which was discussed on yesterday's Football Social Daily. Just scroll back in the timeline uh, on our podcast page to find that episode. Um, they also brought in Emmy Buendia earlier this month. Suggestions, John, that they're spending the Grealish money already, highlighting that perhaps some people feel that Jack Grealish is going to leave the club in the summer. Do you side with that? Um, I, I would imagine Jack Grealish's desire is to leave um, I think he's I think he's achieved everything that Villa are going to achieve I think they've done really well I've really enjoyed it um, 
as an Arsenal fan, it's actually been really, really disheartening to have sold who I felt was our number one goalkeeper to Aston Villa and then see him have the season he did have at Aston Villa last season. Um, I think I think Ashley Young actually has a good signing just because of that age di- difference you talked about. He's got experience. He's just won Serie A. Um, and I think when I looked at Aston Villa, they were lucky that Matt Target never got an injury last year because Cash got injured. They were fleeting between El Mohamedy and uh, I can't remember the concert. The centre half had to play right back. So I think he's he's coming into cover and bring some experience into a young squad. They also need to they also need to up the bid for Smith Rowe if they think they're taking him for Arsenal for twenty odd million. Um, he's he's been our absolute standout. Um, our, him and Saka have been our saving grace. Uh, this last 12 months so they can absolutely dream on if they think they're coming and stealing him for as little as they bid the other day I would imagine Arsenal I'd imagine that's his agent a little bit I reckon Arsenal are about to offer him a big contract to stay Another piece of transfer news comes from a Chelsea perspective and Fikayo Tomori has left Stamford Bridge. He signed for AC Milan after spending last season or the second half of last season on loan. The 23-year-old helped AC Milan to Champions League football next season. Milan did have an option to buy. They've exercised that. Do you think this is a loss for Chelsea, John, or do you just think he simply won't get into Thomas Tuchel's team next season? I think he would struggle to get into the team, but also if I look at Chelsea's centre-halves with Thiago Silva constantly being injured, there are, there are, there's a spot there for an ageing centre-half. I watched a lot of Serie A last year. I just think he really enjoys playing for AC Milan because he was really good for them when he did play last season. So I think he's just made the decision that this is this is a better fit for him. He's going to be in the Champions League, so he's not missing out on anything. And I also think it's... I love seeing younger players go abroad and trying to develop something different to their game instead of just um, playing second fiddle or being around a, a Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United and actually go and test themselves. So I think it's a really good move. The games I watched him, I thought he was a really good centre-half. Um, I didn't actually realise he was as young as that. I thought he was one of these Chelsea loanees that had been there for 10 years and had never really <laughs> developed. But um, I think this is a great move for him. I think he's done the right thing. One of those 32-year-old Chelsea loanies that never <laughs> makes an appearance. Um, I thought he looked impressive in the games he did play for Chelsea. And it's another British talent playing abroad at the top level, John. And I know you keep a close eye on some of the Scottish lads that are playing their trade overseas. Do you think we'll see more of this in the future? Something you've followed closely? Yeah, I think it's way, way more enjoyable. I think people are realising that they can actually still make... They'll never make as much money as they can in the Premier League unless they join one of the absolute top sides. But I think they realise they can go and compete in Champions League football and make a name for themselves. And if they do the right job and make the right move, Bellingham, Sancho, they will be bought back 10 times over to one of the big clubs that they weren't breaking into and then be a mainstay in the England side. I think it's been really refreshing to see. I think Southgate, it varies from England fan I talked to, but I think Southgate's really reinstilled that. Like It doesn't really matter where you're playing. He'll keep an eye on you. And if you're playing well, you'll be in this squad with the likes of Bellingham and Sancho. So I, I think Tamori's maybe seen that and thinks that, right, Ben White got in the squad, but if I go and play Champions League football at AC Milan, I think there's potential for me to get in this squad. Um, so, no, I, I think I think it's really refreshing. I, I enjoy it. I think it's a much more interesting story than having people just stay in the Premier League. It's good that I get to see them, but I, I really, I love watching Sancho. I love watching Bellingham. I, yeah. I really, really enjoy it. I love watching Tamori. So yeah. I, I personally really enjoy it. I think it makes for a much better story and it makes for a much more interesting collective group when they turn up for international football as well. Tamori's move from Chelsea to AC Milan was confirmed yesterday. Speaking of Jade and Sancho, 
The rumours have been going wild about him and a move to Manchester United for about two years now. And the Daily Mirror are all over the Manchester United transfer news this morning. They claim that United have bid £50 million to Real Madrid for Rafael Varane, the French defender. Madrid allegedly want 80 minimum and have also supposedly opened talks over a new contract with Varane after Sergio Ramos's departure from the club after 16 years yesterday. But on the Jadon Sancho front, Marley, he's said to have been close to joining United for what feels like an absolute eternity now. Do you think we'll see anything sewn up? Because it must be quite distracting for a player at a major tournament to have their future up in the air. I'm thinking of the likes of Jadon Sancho and probably Harry Kane as well. Do you think there's anything that lends itself to that kind of thinking? Because I suppose even though they want to do well for England, Harry Kane might just be thinking at the back of his mind... I don't want to get injured here before the start of the new season. Um, it, it'd probably be in their minds, yeah. Um, but I don't, you, you're not going to tie anything up before the Euros started because um, there was barely any time to, to breathe. Or was it three weeks? And you're probably on holiday for seven days of that or getting your feet up and not thinking about football for a little while. So there's no time there, really. Um, and then you've got, what is there, a month between the Euros ending and and the uh, the new season starting, so that's when you've got to go from zero to a hundred uh, and get their moves done. Because I mean, if they if they do get done, I mean, this Sancho things took what eighteen months now of of constant talks and constant uh, publications searching for clicks and by saying oh it's it's closer than ever and it was closer than it was yesterday oh it's. Oh, it's collapsed. Oh no, it's now it's back on, and they want ninety million plus fifteen in add-ons. It's it just winds me up, really. It's clearly not going to get done during the Euros because why? Why would it? Why would you? Why? Who's who's talking to each other? Because the player's clearly not involved because he's busy elsewhere. So it's just one of them where it's, it's just the media will run for it forever. Um, nobody really knows what's going on until everybody has a minute to to breathe and assess the lay of the land, and then say. Okay, do you actually fancy leaving Dortmund? Because you know you're doing it right at the minute. Your value is still going to go up after another season. So do you do you want to stay, or do you want to go with uh, go to Man United if they if they're prepared to to make this uh, this huge bid for him? But yeah, well, I mean we'll have to wait and see what happens. But it's certainly something to think about and possibly put players off if they are getting towards the the knockout stages and thinking I might have a medical in in two weeks' time. I don't want to, you know pull a groin and what have you so yeah it's it's one of them we'll have to wait and see but you know um there's certainly things there that uh, that can be distractions so hopefully it doesn't um play into the way the players play when they get on the field what do you think john do you think there's always that subconscious for some of these players at big tournaments because it can kind of go both ways can't it you might have some players who are out of contract to or might even be in the last year of their contracts thinking if i play well at this euros i could line up a decent move but on the other side of the coin there might be some players who have already got that move in mind that are worried about scuppering it by something happening to them at the tournament um, no i don't i don't know about that i think people are just very much ingrained in the situation i don't think footballers can ever think like that because if you do you're going to inevitably do something stupid and get injured if you're thinking outside of that we've got we've got a few players from rangers that are at the euros that we know are definitely looking to potentially cash in on moves um glenn kamara playing for finland has been an absolute standout he's going into the last two two years of his contract so uh, i'm assuming he's looking at maybe getting a move barisic for croatia although he didn't start we were looking at these players and potentially seeing um, philip hellander at sweden that maybe 
if they had a good Euros, this might be a time for Rangers to, to maybe cash in big after the year we've had as well. Um, the Sancho thing, I think that's... it's. I normally don't buy into media stuff, but it does feel almost like, even from the, the way he's tried to kind of play it down in his interviews, that this is happening. And it's very much the clubs need to just get the fee sorted. So I think I think Sancho will just want to impress more and more if he gets the chance more than anything. Yeah, well, Manchester United have said to have been in for Jadon Sancho for a long, long time. It does feel like this summer, over the past two transfer windows, uh, things have started to simmer up a little bit more than normal. No one's worried about transfers for now, though. Everyone's worried about England against Scotland tonight, 8pm. I can't stop thinking about the game. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a good one. Uh, thanks very much, John. Um, where are you going to be watching the game tonight? Uh, just round at our friends having a barbecue. Oh, have we got to get the cans in? Yeah, that'll be org- that'll be organised for the two PM game, and then we'll take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, you make it to eight o'clock by the sounds of it. Um, Marley, what about you? You're going to be taking it in in the front room, or are you heading down the pub? Uh, just front room for me. I think I think the pubs are all all booked up. Um, it's probably not wise as well to be going jumping around with a bunch <laughs> of England fans as well with probably contract yeah. COVID and think, is this all worth it? <laughs> as soon as I'm locked down <laughs> for the next two weeks. So it's my birthday next weekend, so I don't want to be uh, <laughs> isolating for that stuff. So, yeah. So. I watched uh, I watched a few of the World Cup games in 2018 in London in sort of some of the open air spaces that they had set up with the big screens and stuff. I'm convinced that more beer ended up on the floor than actually in people's <laughs> mouths um, during that tournament, especially during the Panama game. I think more beers were spilled on the floor <laughs> than they were. Of all things as well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> as exactly. if you weren't going to score against Panama. Panama. I know. <laughs> Madness. Um, thank you very much, John. Don't forget to go and check out the Trampled Bet podcast. Where can people find out um, more about the Trampled Bet as well john on social media yeah our twitter page at trample bit podcast and um, you can find us there uh, find us on spotify everybody else on your network um really appreciated all the help and all the kind of guidance to it and joining the network's been really really beneficial for us as well our pleasure mate yeah go and check out trample bet on the sports social podcast network loads of other euro 2020 content on there as well something for the sport fan of all persuasions that's it for today's football social daily we'll have reaction to england against scotland with a special euro 2020 show tomorrow on saturday for you that's with amp mcginley so make sure you go and hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it but that's it from us today and we'll catch you again next time on football social daily Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.